The Law of the King, Part 3. If you're able to stand, we're in Matthew 5. Stand with us for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 38 through 48, and then we'll pray. The Law of the King, Part 3. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. We will finish chapter 5 today, and he says these words. Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you, 41, to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We need all the help we can get this morning. Pray with me, Father. Thank you for this wonderful congregation. Thank you for your living, powerful word. These are humbling, hard words, and we would all confess that they seem almost unachievable. But with the help of the power of the Holy Spirit, and I think with a good understanding of what you're trying to say to us in terms of examples, Lord, we hopefully we can hit the mark and be salt and light in our world. Would you help us with that? We humble ourselves before you. We open our ears and our hearts to your voice. May your voice come through, and may we respond in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. 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 You can have a seat. The Law of the King, part three. So when we revisited the foundation of Jesus' sermon, we went back to Matthew 5.17, where Jesus said these famous words, do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. You could say the Old Testament. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And then in Jesus' sermon, he, he basically turns to the law. That is his focus. And uh, I told you that we could align Jesus' teaching the law of love with Matthew 23, 23. You don't have to turn there. But Jesus confronted the religious leadership and he said, you're good at tithing. You're good at the outward stuff of the law, but you've neglected the weightier measures of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you should have done without neglecting the others. Now in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus called these the weightier matters of the law. These are the things that really matter, you could say, to God. They have great weight. They have great substance. I suggested to you last time that Matthew 23, 23 is a good definition of what love is. Love would include ideas of justice, faithfulness, and mercy. This is where Jesus has taken us so far in parts one and two. The first sermon, or the first uh, message we did on this Jesus talked about murder, but he said murder is also hate. He talked about adultery, but he said adultery is also lust. And that 
is in the area of justice. We all want to be treated justly and fairly. Then we dealt with the category of faithfulness, thinking of Matthew 23, 23, and kind of drawing lines from justice and now faithfulness. We dealt with divorce, and we dealt with the taking of oaths. And now we're going to deal with the broader category of mercy, and we're going to talk about personal retribution and love. And I will tell you that, that as I studied this this week, uh, I wrote things in my notes like, Lord, you have to be kidding. Or, Lord, really? Or, how does one do what you've called us to do? In fact, many interpreters, many commentators who have looked at Jesus' sermon have said it's unworkable in the real world. It's unlivable. How can anyone ever achieve these types of things? Last night with the time change, my neighbors uh, behind and to the side both decided to have loud parties. And I began to mutter to my wife. First of all, it was a volume I didn't appreciate. Second of all, it was a style of music I didn't appreciate. And it was moving later into the evening with the time change. And I did something like this. I walked by my wife and I said, mutter, mutter, mutter. Don't they, what's wrong with these people? Don't they have any courtesy for the consideration for their neighbors? And then I thought, you know what? I'm preaching tomorrow on loving your neighbor. But in me, I was thinking eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? How many of you remember the uh, driving video that Goofy starred in? This will date some of us. But Goofy is the, <laughs> you know, he's all this happy. And then he got behind the wheel and ah, he just turns. How many of you take things personally when you're driving? Anybody? All right. Is it just me? I remember years ago, this lady cut me off and I was mad and I, I was on my horn a little bit and she was right by my side and we kind of were playing a little game of chicken in our car. And I, for a moment, I thought, this is a wonderful idea. This is great. I'll cut her off, and it'll be cut off for cut off, eye for eye. This is biblical. And then I thought, this is probably not good for a pastoral career. <laughs> and I, I slowed down, I calmed down, and I let her drive on. But I tell you, in my early days driving, I took everything personally I don't know if I'm the only person in the room. But Jesus is teaching an, an ethic that I want to say to you is a kingdom ethic. The only way that you can possibly even try to achieve what Jesus is saying here is if you have a kingdom mindset. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, I want you to be salt, and I want you to be light. And what Jesus is going to say here is so upside down, so atypical of what we would normally do in our flesh or what we would hear of other people doing, that it is going to challenge us to our core. So I want you to fasten your seatbelt a little bit. We're going to try to get to some basic principles that I believe that the Lord is teaching us, and we'll try to make the best application that we can. Let me just say to you, in resetting the foundation, I had shared with you last week that Jesus fulfills the ceremonial law. You can think of the sacrificial system. 
the animals that were sacrificed, Day of Atonement and in other settings, he fulfills that perfectly. That is no longer being practiced, the ceremonial law. Jesus fulfilled the moral law. He loved God and loved his neighbor perfectly. And we said last week, we can fulfill the moral law by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 8.4. There's one more layer of the law that comes up here, and it's civil law. Now, civil law was applied to the Israelites under Moses in the book of Exodus in their setting, time, place, etc. Now, some of those laws do carry over to Western law, but those laws under civil law, ceremonial, moral, civil, are for that time, that place, etc., given to Moses for kind of like court cases. You guys will remember that Moses from morning until evening would hear about disputes and he was supposed to give a judgment and then that got spread out to the elders of Israel. But this was more like case law. Like what do you do for personal injuries or you know, um, someone steals something from you, etc. And that's recorded in Exodus 21.1, if you're taking notes, the civil law to about 24.3. And this is called the covenant code. And we taught on this when we went through the book of Exodus. I bring it up because that, that is a uh, law under a theocracy for that time and that place. And this is where this comes from. You have heard that it was said, Jesus says, an eye for an eye, verse 38, Matthew 5, and a tooth for a tooth, quoting here from the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. This is the wider verses. If you're taking notes, Exodus 21, 24, and 25, this is the principle of what's called lex talionis, or the principle of retaliation. Exodus 21, 24 says, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And when you think about the law of retaliation and you take it into a court of law, that might seem fair to us because it seems like if someone did something to us to hurt us, then the same should happen to them. We might find a, a congruity with our own thinking in terms of what should happen in today's law, although we know that today's laws have become very loose in many places where people can go right up to the number of stealing amount of goods and it seems like you know, security guards and the like are almost helpless now to do anything. And we, we kind of know what's going on with the law. Well, Moses was given this justice law, this covenant code. And scholars say that by the time that Jesus arrived on the planet in his earthly ministry, this may not have been being carried out uh, literally. They may have found other ways like cash compensation. Like if you did something to someone, whether intentionally or not, that you would pay a fine or uh, etc. And there's even a little bit of debate about whether the death penalty was being carried out at this time. So Jesus takes us back to the book of Exodus. And he says, this is what you've heard. And, and he quotes part of the verses there. But then he transforms it. He says, but I say to you, and remember, we're not dealing here with court. We're dealing with personal issues one-on-one -on -one kind of stuff. There, there is a place for the court system in our modern thinking as evangelical Christians. This is personal stuff. I say to you, do not resist him who is evil 
or an evil person, or you might say a bad person or an immoral person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And all God's people said, what? Now, imagine for a moment that if I were to slap you on the right cheek, and I would not do that, and I'm right-handed, which is typical for most people, I would have to do this. To slap you on the right cheek, I would have to go like this, and I would backhand you across your cheek. That'd be the typical way. So you've all seen the famous slap in movies, maybe a, a woman, you know, a guy's doing something wrong and approaches a woman, and she slaps him across the face or knocks his drink out of his hand. That's kind of the picture we have here. In this ancient culture, this wasn't a threat to your life. There's a place for self-defense and a place for that type of protection in the Bible. This is an insult. This is someone like smacking you and insulting you. And, and to contemporize these things, to make them applicable to our lives. And I think this is what Jesus is essentially saying. This would be, if you're taking notes, the insult. How do you deal with a personal insult? Let me just say to you, that while Jesus addresses enemies here and whoever and whomever, for most of us, these things are going to come right in to our families, our marriages, our workplace, our neighborhoods. It's going to be probably pretty rare that you have to deal with a stranger in some way like this. But I want you to take it from the lesser to the greater. If Jesus is calling us to love strangers this way, difficult, bad people this way, how much more should we love those closest to us in this way. So we all deal with insults, right? And imagine that metaphorically, someone slaps you across the face or someone you know, gives you a bad time with a, a verbal insult. What do you do now? Well, Jesus' call is to turn the other cheek, which means that you have to stand your ground. You can't run away, which a lot of us, when we're insulted, let's just take a verbal insult. Let's take it into our marriages some of us, when we feel insulted, whether our spouse knows it or not, we just run. We leave. We clam up. But to stand your ground and offer the other cheek is to look a person in the eye and say something like this. Well, go ahead. If, if you need to, go ahead and hit me here as well. If it makes you feel better. <laughs> and that may not be what Jesus is getting at, because even when I say those words, that's kind of a dig. You know, go ahead. If, 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 if you have to dish it out, I'm willing to take another slap across the face. Now, what would cause anyone to do something like this? Doesn't that sound weak? Doesn't that sound like you've become a doormat for a person? Well, I'm going to tell you that everything that Jesus preaches here, he did. And we'll look at some parallel verses in a moment that will answer some of those questions. But this is not about taking, this is not about a court of law. This is about not taking personal revenge. This is about kingdom law, what the citizens of the kingdom look like. This is the first of four examples. Proverbs 20, uh, 22 says these words, do not say I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. So we think about our marriages. This is a, a verse that I want to give you. We'll put it up on the screen. 1 Peter 3, 7 through 9. You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with the weaker vessel, 
since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Not only does the Bible say not to slap somebody back, it says to offer the other cheek, but then to offer something more, to offer a blessing. Can you imagine? Well, God bless you and your family. And here, here's the other cheek so I can give you more blessings. And this is why this week I was going, Lord, how is this even possible? And on top of that, to try to give a blessing, I want you to think for a moment. Let's say that someone close to you insults you. And let's just say that you said, is that all? Or do you you have something else to get off your chest? Let's say that they give you a little bit more. And then you say something like this. Okay, I hear what you're saying. Tell you what. Can I just, can I just pray for you right now? Can, can I cover you in prayer? Now, I know that for most of us, I can feel the tension right there in your spirit. What, what would it take for me not only not to fight back, but to offer a blessing instead? But that is precisely what Jesus is getting at. E.C. McKenzie said, the loneliest place in the world is the human heart where God's love is absent. And the book of Isaiah shows us a picture of the Messiah. Would you turn to Isaiah chapter 50? If you don't want to turn there, we'll try to put it up on the screen for you. Isaiah chapter 50 has a servant song. There are four of these in the Bible. They are prophecies about the coming Messiah written before he got here, fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And I want you to see what happened to Jesus, our Messiah, as he called upon us to turn the face of grace Let's see what happened to him. Isaiah 50, verse 4 says, The Lord God, 50, verse 4, has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple, as a kingdom citizen, if you will. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back, Isaiah 50, verse 6, to those who strike me. And my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting, which was another major insult of that day. Mark 14, 65, if you want to jot it down right there in your Bible. Some began to spit at Jesus, Mark 14, 65, to blindfold him and beat him with their fists and said to him, prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. It may be that reading between the lines here, the Messiah is saying to us, maybe when someone insults you, there's something going on in their own heart and life that it's coming out and there's an opportunity. Notice, this is what it's gonna take for us to turn the other cheek. For the Lord God helps me, me, verse seven, therefore I'm not disgraced. Therefore I've set my face like flint and I know that I shall not be ashamed. In 1 Peter 2.23 It says, Jesus kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Notice, 
He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. The Messiah himself took slaps to the face. They pulled out his beard. And what was the reason that Jesus allowed that to happen? He was no glutton for punishment. He didn't come here to become somebody's punching bag. He was on mission. He'd come to save the lost. He'd come because God so loved the world. He'd come because God loved us while we were yet sinners and while we were yet enemies. How many times have we metaphorically slapped him in the face? How many times have we metaphorically spit in his face, especially as unbelievers? And yet, what did Jesus do? He didn't say, well, I'm not gonna die for them because they don't, they don't appreciate it or they don't love me. No, heaven's love did what it needed to do for our salvation. That's the first one. It's gonna get harder. Number two, Matthew 5, verse 40. Example number two, if anyone wants to sue you. Yeah, it makes me wanna cry too. <laughs> take your, and take your shirt. Let him have your coat also. Example number two is in the area of inconvenience or major inconvenience. But here we have someone who wants to sue you. Maybe take you to the people's court. How many of you remember the people's court? Can you imagine? The music begins to play. Here suing Mr. Lance is Mr. Smith. What's this all about? Well, five years ago, Mr. Lance lent Mr. Smith his Hawaiian shirt, his favorite Hawaiian shirt from the 80s. And now Mr. Lance is suing for $39.99. You say, how did it come to this? How could you end up in the people's court or before Judge Judy over a Hawaiian shirt that nobody should wear anyway from the 80s? Or let's, let's put it this way. Let's say someone borrowed your lawnmower and they borrowed it a year ago and they never gave it back. And now you've ended up in, before Judge Judy over the lawnmower, total price, $199.99. And there you are. Well, here's what happened, Judge. I, I lent him the mower and I told him, I need it back. My grass grows quickly. And, and he didn't. And Jesus says, well, give him your weed whacker as well. <laughs> and forget about court. But it was my favorite shirt. I don't have to give him my favorite coat also. Now this is where the saying comes, you know someone who will give you the shirt off their back? This comes from right here. Do you know somebody like that? Do you know someone who will give you the shirt off their back? Remember, the larger principles are not to over-literalize what Jesus is saying. But take, take the principle. It means that I could be inconvenienced by somebody else and rather than me barking up and down about what I lost, I would even give them my coat also. For the sake of what? The kingdom. For the sake of my witness. Because it's just stuff. Do you know that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, 
The Roman soldiers gambled for his clothing. They took his clothes from him. Some scholars believe that Jesus was hanging on the cross naked. Others believe he was barely covered. Whatever the the case may be, can you imagine the humiliation of dying on the cross and people are at the foot of the cross gambling for your clothes? Imagine if it were you. What would you do if you had the power of the universe at your beck and call? Would you say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Or would you say, Father, gather the biggest lightning bolt that's ever been seen and fry the landscape? But do you see our king's heart? Do you know at the crucifixion site, two men became believers? a thief on the cross who was dying next to him. And a Roman centurion said, surely he was the son of God. What won them over? Jesus' love at the cross. And we are citizens of the kingdom and we belong to the king. In 1993, a mother lost her only son when O'Shea Israel shot him during an argument at a party. Her initial reaction was she wanted justice and she wanted this man to pay for killing her son and he did. He served 17 years of a 25 and a half year sentence. He was released from jail and returned back to his old neighborhood, moving in right next door to marry the mother of the son that was killed. This was was not by accident, says this writer, but by a remarkable act of mercy. A few years prior to his release, Mary, the mother, was overcome by the conviction to forgive him. So she set out to do just that through a course of several meetings. After some time, she was able not only to forgive him, but help him upon his departure from prison and help him move in next door. In fact, they they don't just live close to each other, they are close in spirit. Mary gives the glory uh, to God with her ability to forgive such a tragedy. She says, unforgiveness is like a cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about the other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. He murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me, close quote. You know, going from the lesser to the greater, we know what the Lord did for us, and we think about minor things that happen, spats. You think about all these silly court cases that happen, and sometimes they happen in families. And people are suing each other for things that will just end up wearing out. They won't last. Example number three, whoever, 41, shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. This is what I would call the demand. So we have an insult, we have an inconvenience, and now we have a demand. I can't help but think of the demand of jury duty. Can I get a witness? I get that letter in the mail and you would think the world was coming to an end. Oh no! (laughs) Jury duty! Right? (laughs) So you call that number and you're like, oh Lord, prayer life's never been so good. (laughs) Let it not be badge number 75778. Oh Lord, in Jesus' name. And then if it happens and they give you the call, you got to go down to the court. Oh, it's a dark day. And all the people come walking in. Uh, 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 and you sit 
with a jury of your peers who need coffee injections and an attitude adjustment. And then you see somebody from church. You're like, hey, how's it going, man? But you're still praying. And then there's the happy guy over there, civic duty Charles. This is a great day. I hope I get on a jury. We should all be serving the Lord in this way. And you're like, civic duty, right? And we all have, if we were going to confess it, we all have tricks on how we might get out of it. And, oh, it's such an inconvenience. Jesus is referring to, uh, in verse 41, a reality that if you were uh, oppressed or an ancient enemy had taken your land, as in the Romans occupying Israel at this time, A Roman soldier could force you under law to carry his stuff for up to a mile. So it might be like this. You're walking to the store with your friends, and a Roman soldier goes, Hey, you! Me? (laughs) Jury summons. (laughs) Carry my stuff! And the law said you had to carry his pack or whatever he wanted you to carry for one mile. Now, can you imagine that mile? The Jews at this time absolutely despised this law. What do you mean he can tell me to carry his stuff for a mile? This is our land. These people are occupying our land, and they hated it. Can you imagine the conversation for that mile? As you can be like jury duty. You <laughs> Romans in our land, uncircumcised. <laughs> and Jesus says, instead of going one mile... Here's where it comes from, brethren. Go the extra mile. See the larger principle? Go with him too. And as you go with him too, maybe you share the gospel with him. Why, why didn't you mutter like all the other people mutter when things like this happen and someone calls for you to, well, I'm a believer in Messiah. And hey, have you heard the good news? I, I don't mind. Let's go another mile. I want to share with you the good news about Jesus Christ. Wow. That would be an amazing moment, wouldn't it? That we would look different from everybody else. And that's what our king is saying. Do you remember when Jesus was moving down the Via Della Rosa? There was a man named Simon, and he was there. I don't know all the details of his involvement with Jesus, but a soldier said, you, carry his cross. Me? Jesus was falling under the weight of the cross. He had been beaten so badly with the whip. And Simon the Cyrene carried Jesus' cross. And Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. You know, uh, Simon the Cyrene was famous in the early church. He was known as the man who carried Jesus' cross. Imagine if he would have said, no way, That's terrible. He took off running. But he had the privilege of carrying Jesus' cross. See, it is things like this that really get people's attention. The fourth and final example in this section is give to him who asks you, don't turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now, in everyday situations, it may not be the stranger, although we know that there are people 
who have set up camp and they have their signs and we've all been taught discretion about what we give and how we give and we all know principles about lending money and stuff like that. And we've got to factor those in. In fact, I wouldn't give someone $20 if I knew someone's going to go get a fix or buy alcohol or you know, keep their drug habit going. That's enabling them. But if someone asked me for food or I knew it was a legitimate need as best I could tell, I try to meet the need. You know, every week in this church office, I have to tell you, probably without exception, 52 weeks a year, we get some sort of benevolence request. And we have a benevolence fund and you guys are so uh, giving and gracious and we help people with food or we help them pay a light bill. We've, some people are in their homes today because of you because they wouldn't have made it otherwise. And we do our best to discern, you know, what we should do in each individual situation. But I will tell you that as a staff, we try to always lean on the side of grace because I believe that's what the Lord's called us to do. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Jesus left everything for us. In fact, he told someone, I, I don't even have somewhere to lay my head at night. Imagine the glories of heaven that he left. And then sometimes if someone says to us, hey, and it's usually a child, can I have $10? Are you going to do this every day? You're seven. Get a job. <laughs> and all the parents said, amen. <laughs> you're, you're 16. Why does everything cost at least $20? Well, that's, that's today, right? Can't even get a candy bar for, anyway. I think you get the four principles. Those are the law of the king in, in regard to personal retribution. Not self-defense, not court cases. The law is there for a reason, personal stuff. Second section is to love your neighbor. It begins in verse 43, Jesus speaking. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, Loving your neighbor is something we've all heard so many times, right? We know that's the essence of the law, to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is not new to most of us. And Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, you, you shall love your neighbor. That's Leviticus 19.18, if you're taking notes. But where did the hate your enemy come from? Well, that was more rabbinic rabbi teaching or tradition. And they had added it on so much so that it became the common thought that the only people I need to love are neighbors. And you might say, who's my neighbor? Would you turn over to Leviticus 19? I know most of you know where that is because you do devotional reading in Leviticus every day. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Go to chapter 19. We'll put this, the verses up if you don't want to get there. Leviticus 19. Here's where this comes from. Let's read one verse back so we can see what they would have read. Leviticus 19.17 says, You shall not hate your fellow countrymen, mark it, in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against, notice it again, the sons of your people. 
but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, when we look at verses and sometimes when we isolate verses, those two verses talked about countrymen, fellow Jews, if you will, at this time. So I'm only supposed to love them, right? Not those other people. Go all the way down to verse 34. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You know, many of our Bible questions get answered if we just keep reading. Somehow the rabbis had isolated verses 17 and 18 to say, and and it seems like a reasonable inference, that the only people you need to love are people like you. And you can hate all the other people. So guess what happened among the religious elite and maybe many of the people in the country? They loved their own and hated those people and their hate became almost sanctified. Yeah, look at those people over there. Hate them. Hate them. Yeah. And it was almost like, and if you don't hate them, you're the one with the problem. You're supposed to hate those people who live over there or look like that. And the Bible says, no, God so loved the world. You see how we can sanctify some things and and feel like we're justified even in God's sight? Well, that's the right kind of hatred. And this was inferred from Psalm 139 where David said, don't I hate those who hate you, O Lord? And You know, another psalm that says God's angry with the sinner every day. And they took a few of those verses and you got to try to understand those. And even Israel in the book of Joshua meeting out God's vengeance upon people groups. And you're like, well, isn't it logical to think that we should hate those people? No, Israel was a tool of God's judgment on those people after many years of not repenting. They were a tool of his judgment. This, This, again, we go back to personal stuff here. Can I ask you a question? Do you have hate in your heart right now for certain people groups who are different from you, don't look like you, don't talk like you, don't act like you? Have you sanctified your hate? Do you see how Jesus' sermon causes me now to look inside my soul and say, have I done that? Do Do I justify that? in my own heart because I think, well, it's because I have my reasons, right? Turn back to Matthew chapter five. I was telling you about our neighbors. We got some new neighbors behind us and we have a hill, they live below us and then there's a hill that goes up and there's some wrought iron uh, fencing. And these new neighbors moved in and I said hello to them and we're all friendly and they have these two little, I would only describe them as Taco Bell dogs. (laughs) Yo quiero Taco Bell, man. And They're little yappers. Now, I'm a dog lover. If you've been here for any time, you know I'm a dog lover. But they would come up the hill. And I'm telling you, this was going on for hours. I'd be around, you know, we have a pool. I'd be cleaning my pool. Well, I got to a point where it became not so spiritual. And I squirted the dogs a few times. <laughs> and then my neighbor said, we got to shut those dogs up. And he put some sort of device on my fence with my agreement. 
I think it was sending out deadly rays for 500 yards. <laughs> right? Well, the neighbors saw this device, and they were offended by it. And one day, yip, 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 yip. I'm, I'm in the backyard, and I was like, that's it! <laughs> and I called the guy's name, and I said, if you don't stop with these dogs, I can't even go in my backyard anymore. And I went on for about a good minute. And then I looked down, and he had headphones on. <laughs> and I was like, that's the Lord. <laughs> that's the Lord, because I should have said that. And then he was like, what's up? And I was like, ah. <laughs> Could you do something, please, with your dogs? They're driving me crazy. <laughs> and I twitched a little bit now. And I said, Look. and I called his name, and I said, would you do, please do the best you can? Well, ended up, he put up some fencing, and then he, he kind of fenced them in in the lower yard. Glory, glory. Those little dogs are way at the bottom of the hill, and sometimes faintly I hear, but it's very faint now. Purpose of the story? <laughs> Just, I, I, I shared it to give you hope <laughs> and to lead into the next verse. But I say to you, love your enemies. Here's the strategy. And pray for those who persecute you. You might write chihuahuas in the margin of your Bible, whatever the persecute. Can you see the two keywords here? Love and pray. Love and pray. Beckett Cook was here yesterday, and he had uh, entered into the homosexual lifestyle. Um, he grew up in a Christian home. And I think it was around 12 to 14 years ago, he came out of that lifestyle by the witness of some Christians who loved him but spoke the truth in love. So he was one of seven, is one of seven kids, all the siblings believers, mom and dad believers. He said the whole time that he was in that lifestyle, not once did they throw scripture at him, not once did they, you know, bag on him. They, they spent time with him. He said, I knew where they stood on it, but he said they never brought it up. And he said after his mom had passed away, he found a letter his mom had written. It was a prayer letter. And it said, prayer for Beckett. And it was a page of things that she was praying for for him. And what she did was she beat the throne, the gates of heaven for Beckett to have his eyes open, to come out of that life, to see it for what it was, to be used mightily by God. And he found the letter after his mom was gone which he said was extremely emotional for him. But he said, do you know something? The Lord answered all of my mom's prayers for me. And, and we can, you know, say stuff to our persecutors, whoever they are, whoever your persecutors are. We can pay back evil for evil to our enemies, but we're called to love and to pray. Warren Wearsby said, when you pray for someone, it gets the poison out of your heart. When you pray for someone, it removes the poison out of your heart. Well, what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly or inappropriately. It does not seek its own. It's not easily provoked. It keeps no record of wrongs. And it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. 
Stephen was being stoned by the religious leadership of his day. A verse in Acts, I think it's 6.15, says that when they looked at his face, remember, he had the face of an angel, which means he had to be shining. And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen began to pray, and in his dying moments, he said, Lord Jesus, don't hold this sin against them. And you guys will remember that standing there that day was a young man named Saul. And people were throwing their cloaks at his feet so they could go and stone Stephen. Do you think that Saul was impacted by Stephen's witness? Many scholars believe that was the early seed that the Lord used in Saul's heart. We know he had that Damascus Road experience, but sometimes when I chafe under these commands that Jesus gives, I have to think about what it is that I'm walking this planet to do. I'm not here to always protect my honor. I'm not here to make sure no one gets the best of me because it's me. I'm here to try to bring people into the kingdom. I'm here to try to see that enemies of the cross might know the love of Christ. So a couple years back, a group of us go into this city meeting. This is when the, it was being debated about putting in God we trust in the city chambers. So I showed up at this pre-meeting thing and there was an atheist there with his cohort. And uh, I had some papers prepared to talk about the history of our country and fight for this thing to be put on the city chambers. And this guy calls me out. He goes, you, I know who you are. And I was like, who, me? Oh yeah, I've seen, you're the pastor of that church over there. I've seen you, I know who you are. And I didn't know what to do. It kind of caught me off guard. I just started singing, Mary had a little lamb, little lamb. I just worked there. I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so he goes, you want to see an atheist? That's, here's one right here in the flesh. Take a good look. That's me. And you know, everything in is like, okay, it's on. And somehow out of my mouth came, sir, I love you. <laughs> I don't even know where it came from. I know where it came from. It was the last thing I would have ever spoken, especially in my pre-Christian days. But somehow, I love you came out of my mouth. And then I said some other things to make some points in our favor. And afterwards, he told me, because we talked afterwards, and I've talked to him a few times since. I said, you know, I did share with you that I do love you. And he said, yeah, but I didn't need that. <laughs> but maybe he did. Come to find out, he grew up in the church, had a bad experience, and it pushed him away from the Lord. So the why. We'll move quickly. In order that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. This is why you do it. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's our father in heaven. I don't think that this is a works verse. I think this is revealing who belongs to the father. God's providential sunshine and rain come down on the good and the evil, on the unbeliever and the believer. And our love and prayer can create a climate, to use harvest imagery, of love and good. It's like 
putting burning coals on someone's head. It's overcoming evil with good. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's the way of the kingdom. And Jesus will round it out. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Rewards will be up ahead of us. Much talk about rewards in Jesus's sermons. Don't even the tax gatherers do the same? These are the people most hated in Israel. They were seen as turncoats, Benedict Arnold's. They do the same. They love those who love them. And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Don't even Gentiles or unbelievers do the same? What, why are, what makes you different then? Therefore, final verse, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And you're like, that's the final straw. Because I have a bumper sticker that says, not perfect, but forgiven. And it's on my car. So if you follow me, and I break speed laws or the like, not perfect, <laughs> but forgiven. Now I know what we're all saying there, and I know the reason for the bumper sticker, but do you know you can hide under that? You just machine gun the whole family with your mouth, and then you say, well, not perfect, forgiven. <laughs> so you can blast everybody and then hide under that little saying. And some people have looked at Jesus' words here and said, well, this tells us what this sermon's about. This sermon's about Jesus showing us that we need a Savior and amen to that, amen to that, and amen to that. And it's impossible. We just, we just need to know that we need a Savior. But I want you to hear something that's quite interesting. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect sounds a, li a lot like be holy for I am holy. Do you know in that same Leviticus 19 passage that we looked at earlier, that's where the Lord said that. Be holy, for I am holy. And Peter quotes that in the New Testament. Be holy as your Father is holy. As obedient children, be holy. Now, I can't be as holy as God. We all know that. But here's something to consider. Is Jesus making this an unattainable goal, or is he saying... I want you to strive to be more like your father every day. And just as you would strive to be holy as he is holy, be perfect as he is perfect. Now, we'll never be perfect in that sense, but the Greek word for perfect in the New Testament is teleos and has the idea of being mature. Listen to these words, and then we'll start with communion. Paul says, Philippians 3.12, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, teleos or teleao, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He says in verse 15, Philippians 3, let us therefore as many as are perfect have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have obtained. I think Jesus is saying we need a savior, no doubt about it. That's called the pedagogical use of the law. But I think there's something else going on here. I think Jesus is saying, if you wanna be like your father, you gotta strive to mature in your faith, amen? And I'll tell you what, when we come to the end of a, 
sermon like this, I find myself needing to come to the table of the Lord's Supper and get all the help I can get. So the elements are going to start to be passed out right now. And if you're a believer in Jesus, we invite you to join us at his table. I would encourage you to do a little business with him. Thank him for his love for you. Maybe you need to do a little business with something that maybe came to your heart as a result of this message. That would be good. If you're not a believer, I got it. I would encourage you to become one. To trust in Jesus right now as your Savior and your Lord. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in what he did for you at the cross and through the resurrection. And remember, it is while we were yet enemies that Christ died for us. It's while we were sinners that he demonstrated his love for us. And that love, he's calling upon us to show as well. These are not to be things done in the natural, amen? There's no way I could even come close in the natural. These are supernatural uh, requests. But they can come when I say like Paul, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and through me, Galatians 2.20. Father, as the elements are going out, and we are meditating on the word of God. My prayer is that you would be changing our hearts a little bit more because we're here today. I pray that whatever is beneficial for your people, whatever is from you, would sink deep into their souls. Whatever is not profitable, to the end of your glory and the extension of your kingdom. Let people quickly forget it. Ultimately, Lord, this is about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. It's about kingdom ethics and us being kingdom citizens. And it causes me to say, oh Lord, forgive me. Oh Lord, fill me up with your Holy Spirit so I can represent my king the way you've called me to do. I don't believe that you've preached this so that it's some unattainable goal. But I do believe that it will call upon us to humble ourselves and pray heaven's help every single day we wake up. And that would be true in our homes and our marriages, our families, and rippling out into our neighborhoods in every place, Lord, that we have the privilege to walk. As we come to your table, Lord, we remember how you died on that cross while we were yet enemies. We remember how you forgave from the cross, how you bore my penalty. You carried my sorrow. Just like carrying the Roman soldier's equipment, you carried my sorrows to the cross. You bore my shame. You were pressed into my service. And you did it for the joy set before you. Lord, you're so good. Your love is indeed amazing. And as we come to your table and we are concluding this time together, I pray that that love will permeate us this week. We'll maybe start in simple ways. 
to try to apply what we've learned. Help us, O oh God.